Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 49. We've been speaking about the subject of pleasures. And specifically, we started with physical pleasures. We explained that the investment or the pain that a person must put in to be able to maximize their pleasure in the physical world is they have to be aware of the restrictions and the boundaries and living within the boundaries will allow a person to maximize their physical pleasures in this world. We spoke last week about the Torah that gives us boundaries. In essence, every time the Torah says not to do something, while we look at it as something that is restrictive, that's taking away our freedom, but in reality, as we explained last week, when the Torah restricts us from something, it's actually giving us the freedom to be able to enjoy and maximize our pleasure in this world. Today I want to spend time with you discussing some of the examples that we find in the Torah where the restrictions are actually the boundaries to be able to maximize our enjoyment of this world. Before we give the examples, I just want to share with you a Mishnah and Pirkei Avot, probably the most famous Mishnah and Pirkei Avot, is the first one. The Mishnah talks about how Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah from Har Sinai, and then he gave it over to Yehoshua, and Yehoshua gave it over to the elders. And then it keeps going to the Anshe Keneset HaGedolah, the men of great assembly. And it says over there in that Mishnah, Hem Amru, they said three things. Now the men of great assembly was a body of many, many great rabbis. Amongst them were prophets. I can assure you they said more than three things. They said many things. They taught many things. How many thousands and thousands of mitzvot do we have and details and so many books and Sheikh Keneshet HaGedolah knew more than all of that. So when it says they said three things, so obviously it means that if there were three things that they were asked that they should say, they said these are the three. These are the three most important things. I'm not going to discuss the first two because they're not relevant to this class for today. But I will tell you the third one. The third one is quite surprising. It says, Asu seyag la Torah. That they're alerting us, or warning us, to make a boundary around the Torah. What does it mean to make a boundary around the Torah? So first of all, I think setting up boundaries is something very logical that all of us do all the time. 
it's not a major hadush to tell someone to set boundaries. For example, when we have something precious, something valuable to us, we don't throw it around. We put it somewhere and we close the door or we lock the door. We put boundaries on things or people, whatever it might be that are valuable to us, we make sure they are in a safe place. A human, if we can make a mashal, a comparison, a human is like a beautiful garden. Even though sometimes we could look at humans and it seems to be very far from beautiful. But in reality, the human being is a beautiful orchard that has so many beautiful fruits, so many beautiful leaves, so many flowers. The human being is a beautiful orchard. If you would have a beautiful orchard, you would for sure hire someone to put a fence around your orchard. Because if you don't put a fence around your orchard, you're going to have all types of animals and all types of people walking on your property. If you had nothing on your property, you probably wouldn't invest in a fence. If it's just some plain grass, if it's just a driveway, you're not investing in anything special. But if you have a beautiful garden, and there are many beautiful things in there, you want to make sure that your orchard is protected. It's obvious, it's logical. The human being is a beautiful orchard. And the reason why we will look at many people around us, many people in the street, and it will seem so far from beautiful. You could look at a person and say, what is that? What happened to this person? Whether it's the way they talk, the way they behave, the way they think, their attitude, their unhappy state. Many things that we could point at and say, that's not so beautiful. That's horrible. That's terrible. What happened to the beautiful orchard? The answer is, if you don't put boundaries around your orchard, you're going to lose all the beautiful things that are in it. The human being needs boundaries because he's beautiful. Because in order to maintain that beauty, you have to be protected. And unfortunately, when we see the results, we should always remember it's the lack of boundaries that have produced such a person. Therefore, the Anshe Knesset HaGdolah warn us. Imagine the three most important things they could think of. One of them is, make sure you put boundaries around yourself. Which means, realize how beautiful you are, how special you are, how much simha there is in you, and when you realize that, you know there needs to be protection. Asu seyag, make a boundary around the Torah. Make a boundary around yourself. 
that's going to allow you to, to, to grow beautifully. We see this all over the Torah. This concept of boundaries. For example, we see the Torah tells us that when a person becomes inspired to be a Nazir, a Nazir is a person who saw something that was not so, not so good. He saw a sota, a woman that was accused of doing something inappropriate. He saw in the Beta Migdash the way she was being handled. It wasn't a very beautiful scene. Bottom line is, the Torah says, if you happen to be there, if you're in the Beta Migdash and you see that, then you take upon yourself to be a Nazir, at least for a period of time. A Nazir basically has a few rules. One of the rules that probably is the most relevant to this story is that they shouldn't drink wine. Because ultimately, alcohol is the cause of much destruction. Not every time a person drinks, there is destruction. But everywhere there's destruction, there's alcohol. Alcohol is the father of probably most destruction, at least between humans, between each other, between themselves. Torah says stay away from alcohol. That's why this woman probably ended up where she was. So this person becomes a Nazir. He takes upon himself, he's going to stay away from wine. Says the Torah, when he makes that vow, that he becomes forbidden to drink wine. But then it says, and also you shouldn't eat grapes. Why can't he eat grapes? Nobody got drunk on grapes. Why does he have to stay away from grapes? And the answer is, Asu Grapes are just one, one act away from wine. Person has to stay away from grapes if they really want to stay away from the wine. It says by Shimshon, Shimshon is one of the famous people in history who was a Nazir. It says in the Pasuk that he was walking with his parents and they went to a place called Timnat. Timnata. And it says in the Pasuk, And they came, him and his parents, they came to the vineyards of Timnata. And all of a sudden, there is a, there are lions that are coming towards Shimshon, Likrato. And as you know, Shimshon was known for his might and his power. And the Pasuk says that he was able to rip apart the lion. And it says in the Pasuk, He didn't share this information with his father and mother. What happened? The lions came, he tore them apart. It was actually one lion, it says, Kefir Arayot. A student asked the Gaon Mevilna that this Pasuk seems not to make much sense. It says he walked with his parents. He was traveling with his parents. So why does it say he didn't tell his father and mother? They were with him. He didn't need to tell them. The Pasuk never said that they split apart. 
So weren't they there? Weren't they witnessing? Weren't they watching? Says the Gaon, no. That it's obvious that Shimshon, who was a Nazir, he would never walk into a vineyard. That's not one of the requirements of the Torah. But for sure, Shimshon, if he was walking with his parents and there was a vineyard, he's going to go somewhere else. And therefore, the Pasuk didn't even have to tell me that they split. They were walking together and it says, and they came to the vineyards of Timnata. And it's obvious on our own we would know that Shimshon went another way. And that's why it says when the lion came, it says, kefir arayot sho'eg likrato, came towards him, not towards them. Because they went through the vineyard, they were allowed to have grapes. He wasn't. He wasn't even going to come close to the grapes. Asu seyag. You got to make a boundary around the beauty of the person. You know, if we look, if a person studies Torah, he starts to realize more and more just how amazing our rabbis in history were. How much they were able to see and how much able they were able to give us the beauty of the Torah. I'll give you one example. Shabbat. If we would keep Shabbat exactly the way the Torah would say, without adding all the extras that the Hachamim brought, for example, the rules of Mukseh, Hachamim say on Shabbat, you can't touch everything you want. Even if you don't plan to do anything with it, you can't move things around. You can't go fix up your uh, closet on Shabbat. You can't prepare on Shabbat, even if it's non-melachot things. You're not doing any kind of melacha. You can't prepare for Motza'e Shabbat. There are many laws that Hachamim gave us to add to the boundaries of Shabbat. You know, the Shabbat has enough boundaries. But they came and they said, but don't do this. And don't touch that. And don't get involved with that. Why did they do that? The more you study about Shabbat, the more you realize it was those things that they gave us that protected the Shabbat. Because if we just followed the rules of the Torah, we may have followed the rules, but never appreciated the beauty of Shabbat. They gave us the boundaries of what we shouldn't be involved in, so that we should be involved in the right things. Imagine on Shabbat, a person would be moving around his furniture, looking through his clothes, putting things away. Who knows what they would be involved in? It's an off day, it's a Sunday. A person would never appreciate the beauty of the Shabbat. So Hachamim said, let's put these boundaries around the Shabbat so we can protect the Shabbat and protect the people who are Shomer Shabbat. Hazal told us, make sure that you don't eat food cooked by a goy. Even if it's kosher, you cannot eat it. If a goy cooks food for you, that's 100% kosher. It's called bishul nochrim. You're not allowed to eat it. You can't have a housekeeper cook for you. You need to cook. What's the reason for that? It's kosher. There's no problem. The ingredients are good. The Torah says that's fine. 
Hazal say, no, no, no. We're afraid this relationship of the Yehudi and the Goy is like Sha'atnez. Not a good, it's not a good match. Sha'atnez has wool and linen. Wool is excellent by itself. Linen, beautiful by itself. But wool and linen together don't go. It's not a good match. So how are we going to protect this beautiful person not to be mixed up? Come Hazal and say, you can't eat from the Goy's food. You know what that does? It means he can't invite you over his house. You can't eat with him. It's just not possible. Even if he gives you all bet yourself meat, you can't eat with him. Because that's going to protect you from a relationship that will destroy your orchard. You can't eat by him, you can't eat with him. Not only there's Bishul Nochrin, there's Pat Nochrin. These are all rabbinical things that Hachamim instituted. Why? To protect the beautiful garden called the Jewish Neshama. We've seen in our community, many communities are jealous of our community. And for good reason. Probably the most beautiful thing about our community is the community is pure. We are a pure community. How was that purity? How was it being able to be nishmar? How'd they keep it? Well, they made a takana. They made a decree. It was not an easy decree. It's sometimes a painful decree. But it's a decree that has kept our community beautiful and has kept us together. A decree that doesn't allow outsiders to come and destroy the beautiful orchard. Anybody who comes to our community will see a beautiful orchard. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. It certainly has beauty that no other community can claim. How did that happen? There were people who put a fence. Like I said, it was painful. And it's still sometimes painful. Because sometimes... When you put a fence, sometimes even good things don't come in. But that's the way it works. If you want to protect the orchard, you got to put a fence around it. Asus seyag la Torah. I must share with you probably the most piece of, important piece of information I want to share today with you. It says in Masechet Hagiga, listen to these words. Rabbi Yoseh Omer says Rabbi Yoseh the great Tana Oy lahen laberiot He's I feel so bad for people He is a man looking at the people around him and seeing many different things and he says I feel so bad I feel so bad for the people around me Rabbi Yoseh why do you feel bad? What's the problem? He, he's obviously seeing things like we see. He's seeing people who are not happy. He sees people who are frustrated. He sees people who are angry. He sees people involved in the wrong things. He sees people involved in smoking and alcohol and drugs and gambling. He sees broken relationships. He sees a lot of destruction around him. So we see that and we say, oh, wow, it's terrible. But Rabbi Yosef says, I feel so bad. And Rabbi Yosef 
is smart enough not only to see the damage that you don't have to be so smart. You have to have your eyes open. But you have to be smart to locate how that damage became to be. How did it happen? We see damaged people all the time. And we just say, ah, that's terrible. Or sometimes maybe we even blame them because they're terrible people. Says Rabbi Yosei, I feel bad for them. I see destroyed people all around me. I feel terrible for them. He says, Shero'ot ve'enan yod'ot mar'ot. Which means that Rabbi Yosei understood that the cause of their damage is that they see with their eyes, they look with their eyes all around, and they don't know what they're looking at. How many times did it happen to you that you looked with your eyes and you didn't know what you were looking at? I bet since you became mature, never. Everything you ever saw, you knew what you were looking at. Maybe you didn't like what you were looking at, but you knew what you were looking at. What does Rabbi Yosef mean when he says, I feel so bad? Their eyes are looking and they don't know what they're looking at. What is he talking about? What are these people looking at that they don't know what they're looking at? Rabbi Yosef was coming to teach us something very powerful. Rabbi Yosef wasn't looking at what they were looking at. Rabbi Yosef was looking at the product. You see, the eyes are one of the most powerful pieces of items that we own in life. Our eyes, you have no idea how powerful they are. Let me give you just a little insight how powerful the human's eyes are. The human eyes, Hazal tell us, that as you go up in the human face, the more powerful the parts of the body are. So for example, the mouth is powerful. The nose is more powerful. The eyes are more powerful. And the most powerful is the mind. That's why by Havdalah, next time you make Havdalah, remind yourself of what we just said. Notice the Berachot are in order and they keep upgrading. First we make Boreh Peri Hagefen. That's the mouth. Drink the wine. Then we make Boreh Mine Besamim. That's for smell. And then we make Boreh Meore Haesh. To see the light of the fire. And then we make Hamavdil Ben Kodesh Lechol. Mavdil is the knowledge to differentiate between the mundane and the holy. In fact, by the way, even in the physical world it's like that. Not just spiritually, even in the physical world it's that way. Look at the reach of each one of these items. The mouth could only reach the items you put in it. The mouth cannot eat something that's one foot or even two inches away. The nose is able to reach a lot further than the mouth. You could smell something that's further than what you're standing than where you're standing. The eyes 
can see much more than the nose can smell. Can see, I believe the average eye or a good eye on a good day could see about 50 miles. The eyes could see very far. And no one can see further than the human mind. So even in the physical world, it's like that. The higher you go, the more powerful it is. What Rabbi Yosef was saying is that most people have no idea how powerful their eyes are and have no idea how much the looseness of letting their eyes go all over without putting boundaries around their eyes, they have no idea how much damage that's causing them. You might see a person who's afraid, or a person who lives with anxiety, or a person who's down, or a person who's troubled in relationships. And me and you would say, okay, let's go to the psychologist, let's go get him help, and sometimes people do need help, and sometimes you need medicine too. But says Rabbi Yoseh, you have no idea how much of your problems and how many of your issues are starting because you don't know about the power of your eyes. Your eyes are causing you tremendous damage. In fact, the holy books write, it says in the Midrash, listen to this Midrash, Ramah evarim yesh ba'adam. And I cannot tell you that I fully understand this. But I understand there's something very big here. Says the Midrash that the human body has 248 limbs. Vekulam. <coughs> and all of them. Enam holchim vehozrim ela ahar ha'enaim. Means the health of all of your organs, your entire body, is it a healthy body or not a healthy body? Now, I don't know if they mean physical. For sure they mean spiritual. Maybe they mean both. But clearly, says the Midrash, that the eyes are the leaders of the human body. Whatever's going on in your body, your eyes are leading the show says the Midrash elsewhere, Al tikashel Don't stumble with your eyes. She'en michshol ela ba'enayim. Which means, the only stumbling block there is, is the stumbling block of the eyes. The only stumbling block. We stumble in so many ways. What does that mean? We stumble with our words. We stumble with our actions. We stumble with our anger. What does that mean? There's only one stumbling block. How could they say that? And the answer is, of course we stumble in many ways. Like the Midrash just said, you have 248 limbs. There's many ways to stumble. But the cause of all stumbling is the eyes. If the eyes would be protected then everything else would come along. So if you're stumbling somewhere in your body, if you're having issues somewhere, then the eyes are at the root cause of all of that. That's why our rabbis explain beautifully, it's interesting, 
how come how come we cry when we're in pain why do we cry from the eyes person's foot's hurting why the eyes crying a relationship has been broken why the eyes crying person is scared why the eyes crying how come the eyes are always the ones crying and you'll say well the, the tears are in the eyes that's a silly answer God created the world he could make tears in every part of your body I would say if I was the creator if my foot's hurting then my foot should cry it should start sweating and crying if my ankle is twisted my ankle should cry wherever it's hurting that's the place that it should cry how come it's always the eyes that are crying for any damage in the human body or the human soul you got the answer already because all damage comes from the eyes and the eyes are the ones that are crying because ultimately they are the cause of any pain that comes to the person that's why it says David Melech in Tehillim 119 the long pedic of Tehillim he says Pal Yaredu Enai he says water is dripping down my eyes Al Lo Shameru Torah because they didn't keep the Torah first I mean they didn't keep the Torah he should have said because I didn't keep the Torah Al Lo Shameru because if you're doing something inappropriate ultimately if you trace it back you will find it in your eyes that's what Rabbi Yosef says Rabbi Yosef saw so much suffering around so much pain in so many areas of life and he says Oy lahem labriyot. I feel so bad for people Sheroot. They just let their eyes wander. Ve'enan yodot ma'root. And they don't know what they're looking at. Oh, they know what they're looking at. But they don't know how much damage the eyes are bringing into their life. I believe these words are so relevant not only in his days they're so relevant in our days they're relevant probably in every generation how many people are letting their eyes just look the eyes just roam of course we don't feel there's anything what am i doing wrong i'm just looking looking where there are many areas we have to watch our eyes. The wrong pictures, the wrong videos, 
the wrong people. Things that don't belong to us. We should not be looking at other people's belongings. If it happens that we see something, we say beautiful and move on. But don't look in other people's lives. Don't look where they're vacationing. Don't look what they're driving. Don't look where they honeymoon. Don't look at anything they're doing. You might say, but what's the problem? I'm just looking. I'm not doing anything wrong. You have no idea that all the damage and pain that are happening in our lives starts by not allowing control over our eyes, by not putting boundaries over our eyes. That's what Rabbi Yosef is saying. When you keep your eyes to look where they're supposed to, you look at the people that belong to you and things that are relevant to you, you keep your eyes in your own home, you keep your eyes in your own family, you keep your eyes in your own relationship, you're bringing yourself to Gan Eden. You're going to enjoy the beautiful orchard called you. Because if you live within you, you're going to be a great person. When you live within your marriage, you're a great person. When you live with your family, you're a great person. When you live within the boundaries of your home, it doesn't matter the size. When you live in the boundaries of your home, you will enjoy the great orchard called you. But the minute you look to other people that don't belong to you, the minute you look to other places that don't belong to you, the minute you let your eyes just keep looking around, and of course, innocently you will say, but what's wrong with that? It's not like I'm doing anything. It's not like I'm taking anything. Says Rabbi Yosef, you have no idea what you're looking at. You're looking at the destruction of your life. When you let your eyes look at the things you shouldn't be looking at. Those are very strong words. They have no idea. He feels bad. He's not judging people. He's not cursing people. He just feels terrible that people are out there just looking everywhere and not realizing how much damage they're causing themselves. Could it be a more relevant topic than to our generation? The generation of technology where everybody knows where everybody is. And everybody knows what everybody else is doing. And it seems so innocent. It seems, I'm not, I'm dressed normally. It's a good thing, by the way, also. But it's not about the way you dress. It's about what you're sharing. It's about what you're allowing your eyes to see in others who are sharing. It's a whole society of people living beyond the boundaries. 
It should be no surprise to anybody here that we live in a generation where there aren't enough psychiatrists and psychologists to serve the people that need so much mental health. Health, literally. Mental health is a real problem today. And if you ask Rabbi Yosef, say, what's the problem? The problem is the human eyes. Compare that to great people like Abraham Avinu, it says, Vayisa Ainav Vayar. Abraham raised his eyes and he saw. Why does the Torah have to tell me? I bet you never in an essay or a sentence use the word. And he raised his eyes and he saw. You probably wrote, and he saw. And he, we know if a person saw, he had to have raised his eyes. You cannot see if you don't raise your eyes. Why does the Torah have to spend an extra word, Vayisa Einav, two words, Vayisa Einav, he raised his eyes and he saw. The answer is that great people don't just look. They don't just see. Me and you, we just see. But great people, before they see, they first make a decision. Let me see. Now I'm going to let my eyes look. I don't just look everywhere. My eyes are very sensitive and my eyes are very powerful. And my eyes are the source of so much blessing or the opposite. You know how powerful the eyes are on the positive? It says, it says here, that Bil'am, he had the power of cursing. So he was looking at the Jewish people from some mountain. Bil'am et He raised his eyes. And he wanted, says Rashi, he wanted to curse them with the Ainara. You've heard about the Ainara. People scared of the Ainara. Ainara is a real thing. Doesn't mean everyone looks at you, gives you Ainara. But there's something called Ainara, where a person could look with his eyes and cause you damage. So Bil'am wanted to use the power of the Ainara to destroy Am Yisrael. Vayisa, again, the words, Vayisa Bil'am et Ainav, just like Abraham, but Le'avdil for a very bad purpose. He raised his eyes, Vayar, and he saw. What did he see? He saw et Yisrael shochen lishbatav. He saw a nation that was living in modesty. He saw they all had their own tents. He saw he saw the tents were closed. He saw the doors of each tent was not aligned with the doors of the opposite tent. He saw they took real precaution at keeping their lives private, whether it's private for Senyut purposes of dress or private to keep their families private. He saw that the Pasuk says, Vatehi Alav Ruach Elohim. All of a sudden, a spirit of God descended on Bil'am 
and he gave them the biggest blessings. Many of the blessings that we bless during a wedding come from Bil'am. How did that happen? He is a man who's looking to destroy us with his eyes. And all of a sudden he's blessing us. The answer is that the eyes are very powerful. When you look at holy people, just like the eyes can be negative, they can be very powerfully good. When Bil'am saw this picture of an, imagine what, what an inspiring picture that is. An entire nation of people who are living in modesty, privately. Not one, not two, the entire nation. Millions of people. That just turned his eyes into Kedusha. And he had prophecy. Ruach Hashem came on him. And he blessed them. Pasuk says in Mishleh, who better than Shlomo Melech, that could help us understand this, as you can see it, the more you hear, this relevant and powerful subject. Says Shalom Melech in the name of Hashem. Tena beni li becha li. Hashem says, My son, give me your heart. Hashem wants our live, our heart. Hashem is asking us for our heart. Now, I'd like to add a little to the Pasuk. It's not just Hashem wants our heart to give Him. We want our heart to give Him. Tell me, who wouldn't want to pray and connect with the tefillah and love it? The word live is the source of the word love. Live, love. Who wouldn't love to connect to a tefillah? I'm sure everybody here, maybe once in your life, maybe once, you had this unbelievable tefillah. Maybe it was by the Kotel Maravi. Maybe it was during Silihot. Maybe it was during Silihot by the Kotel Maravi. Maybe it was in your living room. Maybe it was in Shul. Maybe it was Kippur. Maybe it was in a time when you really needed something. Maybe it was a time when you were so happy. I'm sure there's one time in your life that you could remember back and say, Wow, that was a prayer. I love that. I connected to it. I can say in my life a few times that if I ever wanted to feel out to pray, I think of that prayer. Wouldn't we want every prayer to be like that? That it should have the love with it, not just the words? Wouldn't we love that every time we did a mitzvah, we were into it? A lot of times we do mitzvot and we're just not into it. Wouldn't we want to love it too? Wouldn't we want to love every minute of Shabbat? And wouldn't we want to love every minute 
of learning. You sit and learn in a class, or you're learning a piece of Gemara, or you're learning a book. Who wouldn't want to love that? There's no greater feeling when you love what you're doing. So it's not just Hashem saying, give me your love. We also want to give our love. The problem is we can't find the button to turn it on. We pray, but we don't connect to it. It's like distant. We learn and we just do it because there's a mitzvah to learn Torah. There are so many things in our lives that we do because we need to do it. Because we have to do it. Which is fine. But we can't find the love. We can't find the lev. It's just not there. Imagine everything you did in your religious life. Your lev was turned on. You know how awesome your life would be. Says Hashem, Tena beni. My son, give me your heart. I don't need your words. I don't need your actions. I don't need your legs. I don't need your hands. I need your heart. Rahamana liba ba'eh. Hashem wants our heart. And by the way, just for the record, it's not only Hashem that wants our heart. Any relationship in life that's meaningful is only meaningful according to the level of the live of the heart. It's not about what you buy for your spouse or what you make for your spouse. It's the live that it comes with. That's the main thing. Hashem says we have a relationship. Can't there be a little more love in this relationship? By the way, when you have love, you have simha. Who doesn't want to have love and simha in their relationship with Hashem? Hashem says, give me your heart. And we would say, Hashem, I wish it was that easy. Show me the button. Imagine I told you, see that person? Love them. I don't love them. But how could you? Why not? I can't do it. Where's the button? There is no button on the human heart that's going to help us love something. How can Hashem demand and asks us to love Him or to love what we do and to love our relationship with Him? Says Shalomu HaMelech, there is a button. Imagine the button to your heart. Says Shalomu HaMelech Ve'aynecha And your eyes Derachai Titzorna Watch your eyes If your eyes Will only look Where I tell you Derachai There are roads in life That Hashem says Look down that road That road you should look That road don't look don't go there. Don't look here. If you would watch the boundaries that I gave you for your eyes, derachai, you watch your eyes, not your feet, but your eyes, then you will turn on your heart. You know what that means? That means any negative feelings 
that we have and we can't control. How many times have you felt that you want to get rid of something that you're thinking about, but you can't? You wish you didn't have this worry, but you can't. You wish you weren't jealous, but you can't. You wish you weren't overtaken by your desire for this, but you can't. And someone will talk to you and say, but come on, you're hurting yourself. Come on, stop thinking like that. Stop worrying about this thing. Stop. And you say, but I can't. You think you're insulting me, they will say. You think I want to feel like this? You think I want to be down? You think I want to be worried? You think I want to have jealousy? You think I want to be overtaken by my desires? You think this is what I want? You're insulting my intelligence by telling me, please stop. Of course I want to stop. Of course I'd rather have a calm mind. Of course I'd rather have a happy spirit. Of course I'd, I'd much rather have hope than despair. Of course, I'd love, I'd love to have energy more than feeling ayef, feeling tired. What are you telling me? All the things that I know, I don't control the way I feel. What do you want from me? When I read the first words of this pasuk, that would be my answer. Hashem, I'm sorry. You want me to give you my heart. Unfortunately, it's not in my hands. The way I feel is not in my hands. How many people will say that? That feelings are things they cannot control. And comes Shilomo HaMelech and gives us two major Hidushim. Two. Number one is you control your feelings. Yes, you control your emotions. When you're down or up, it's in your control. That's one major Hidush. I didn't know that. And the second one, he even gives you the location. He tells you it's where your eyes are sitting, right there. That's where the button is. And Hashem says, I gave you instructions for your eyes. I told you what not to look at. And you left. And you said, ah, come on, what's the difference? Who cares? What does it matter? Of course, that's our natural reaction to boundaries since the day we're born. From the minute our parents gave us one boundary, we're already fighting. We're already breaking the barriers. It's natural. We do the same thing with the creator of the world. Hashem says, I know that you've been making fun of my requirements, I tell you in the Torah, Lo taturu It's a Torah commandment that we read every day. For most of us, at least three times a day. Do not, Lo taturu. You know what the word taturu means? To, you know, go to, on, on a tour? What do you do when you go on a tour? Just go, just go touring. Lo taturu. Do not let your eyes tour. Your eyes are not cameras. Your eyes are the key to your love. They're the key to everything that's going on inside of you. Be careful 
So you didn't listen. You didn't put the boundaries to your eyes. Of course you can't give your heart. Because your heart is out of your control. Because you let your eyes out of your control. Hashem says it's in your control. Watch your eyes. One of the most successful stories in the history of this planet is the story of Yosef. Yosef is a man that wherever we find him, we, we wish to be like Yosef. Not because everything was perfect in his life, because he had many issues that we don't even come close to the issues that he had. So we don't envy his issues. But we sure envy that wherever he was, no matter what was happening, the man is matzliach. The man is successful. Wherever you find him, he is doing great. He sold as a slave. He's doing great. He becomes the most successful slave in the history of mankind. Which slave could say, I want Ish Matzliach? Successful, happy. He's in jail. Basically, a life sentence. The jails in Egypt were not like the jails in America. What happens to this man in jail? I don't think anybody here has been in jail, Baruch Hashem. And certainly not that jail. And certainly no jail that has zero hope of getting out. What, what would my life be if I was in that jail? You know what Yosef was? He was Matzliach. He was very successful in jail. He did great. Guys, spirits are up. He's giving guidance to others when they come to jail. What's wrong? Imagine two of Parao's top ministers get thrown in jail. What does Yosef say when he sees them in the morning? Madua penechem ra'im. What's wrong? You look down today? If I was there, I think I would have smacked them. <laughs> what do you mean, why do I look down today? What do you think? I'm on vacation? You think I'm on some trip? And what, 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 what do you mean, why am I down? I am in jail. I just got thrown to jail. Probably forever. What kind of question is that? And here he is counseling them. Oh, guys, let me hear, let me help you. This, this man is not phased. Wherever he is, he has a great life. Me and you, one wrong turn on the highway could throw off a whole day. Our entire day. One garbage truck on East 4th, out for three hours. That's what it is. We have, we have extremely, extremely weak We are extremely weak. A man is sitting in jail for years. And he's doing great. How do you do great in jail? 
This is a man that we all envy. It is no shock, by the way, that the story of Yosef amongst the entire world is a story of great success. It is the story of success. It's not because he became a melech. That's not really the story. The story is he was successful wherever he was. That's a great story. I wish we can have that. I wish I can love wherever I am in life. No matter what's going on, behind the garbage truck, wrong turn on the highway, someone just yelled at me, someone just, no matter what, I'm that, That's a beautiful thing to have. Comes, comes his father, Yaakov Avinu, at the end of his life, and he gives out all the blessings and descriptions of his great children. And when he gets up to Yosef, he says like this. He says, Ben Porat Yosef. There are different explanations what Ben Porat Yosef means. Rashi explains, Ben Hen, he's a charming person. Ben Porat Yosef. He has a lot of charm. Charm means everyone who sees him loves him. Ben Porat Yosef. Sometimes you see a person who's Matzleh, you say, Ben Porat Yosef. Wow. Everyone loves that person. Ben Porat Yosef. Some explain Ben Porat. The word Porat means he's always producing, like pity. Ben Porat Yosef. Wherever this man is, he's producing. He's beautiful, running away with all the accomplishments. Wherever you find him. Ben Porat Yosef. Yaakov Avinu is looking at his son Yosef and says, wow. Ben Porat Yosef. Successful within himself. Successful other people the way they view him. How? Is ben Porat Aleain. The Ben Porat, this great success story of history, is Aleain. Hazal explained to us, Aleain means, the word Ain is I. Ale means on top. He's on top of the I. He's Aleain. He is a man who took full control of his eyes. A man who only looked where he's supposed to look. Imagine being in jail and only seeing jail and nothing beyond. That's a pretty hard thing to do. Most people in jail are looking at everything else besides jail. Most people look around them and see what they don't have. But Yosef is Ale'ain. He only allows his eyes to see where he is and what he has and what belongs to him. Ben Porat Yosef. The greatness of Yosef. The charm of Yosef. The success of Yosef. The constant production of Yosef. Ale Ain, he's above the eye. 
He's ole ayin. Our rabbis tell us he's above the ayin hara. Nobody could even bother him with the ayin. He's above the eyes because he's in full control of his eye. And Hazal tell us how his eyes were in control even in the most difficult situations. The Midrash talks about the wife of Potiphar. But the Midrash says, Hu lo natan ba. How did he control himself? Lo natan ba. He didn't look at her with his eyes. She's not his. She doesn't belong to him. Forget Arayot. Forget anything. She doesn't belong to him. She's somebody else's wife. You don't look at somebody else's wife. Lo natan aina ba. It doesn't belong to you. I'm not even talking about the lack of decency or the lack of modesty. That's a whole other discussion. Clearly in this discussion too. But lo natan It's not his. Don't look at what's not yours. Yaakov says, this is the greatness of Yosef. He is ole ayin. I must share with you a beautiful pasuk. In Yeshaya. It's such a beautiful pasuk. I wish I will give it the proper respect by explaining it properly. Yeshaya Navi says, describing a certain kind of person, and he lists certain things about this person. I'm not going to list all of them, because it would take too long. But I will tell you the last description of this person, because it's relevant to our subject. He says, Ve'otsem einav mere'ot He's a person who closes his eyes to protect his eyes from seeing bad. It doesn't mean he walks with his eyes closed. It means that he knows not to look in the wrong places. What happens to this person? What will be if such a person? Says Yeshaya Nabi, who Meromim Yishkon. He will live Meromim. You know Meromim means? Marom. Marom means elevated, high. Can I explain to you what Meromim is? Meromim is when a person lives on such a high level that they look down and say, I don't get how these people are living. Such pain they go through. You ever see, and hopefully you didn't, but I've seen drug addicts in our own community. I've seen alcoholics. And when I see them, I feel marom. Not that I want to be on top of them. Not that kind of feeling. Not I'm better than you kind of feeling. A feeling of looking at another person and saying, there's so much to live for. And these people are in the gutter. 
is so much to build. You sometimes see beautiful people married to each other and they're doing things to hurt each other. And you look at them from high and you look and you say, yeah, I'm terrible. They could be enjoying their life. If they would just do this or not do that, they would be able to enjoy their life. But they're not. Meromim Yishkon is looking from a top because you have such, such a beracha in your life. Your Shabbat to Meromim Yishkon. You look at people who are not Shomer Shabbat and you say, Hazit, Be'emet Hazit. If you would enjoy the Shabbat, and you look at a person who's not enjoying the Shabbat because they're not taking advantage of it, you feel bad for them. It's not judging them, they're not bad people. That's not the, that's not the issue now. You just feel bad for them because you know what it's like to be up here. I can't, I can't believe why they would stay down there. And so many things in life along that same path. Says the great Yeshayahu Navi that a person who watches their eyes, who meromim yishkon, you will be living life on a whole different level. You'll be up in Shammai, not because you'll be better than others. Others could be also on a high level. But where you were and where others are below you, it's a different world up there. There is tranquility up there. There's calm up there. There's simha up there. There's growth up there. There's so much beauty up there. So much love up there. Down there, fighting, jealousy, anger, all types of mental disturbance. That's down there. But you, who? You're like up here. You're traveling above it all. You're above everything. Metzadot means, that's all Metsuda. Means a Metsudat David. Citadel. Not the hotel. Mean a strong fortress. Metzadot Selaim Mizgabo. He will be as if he's sitting in a fortress. When you're in a fortress that's solid, no one can hurt you. Who? This guy who's watching his eyes? He's going to be living in a fortress. Meaning, there's nothing that could bring you down. There's nothing that could hurt you or knock you. You are protected. Like a fortress protects those inside of it. Lahmo nitan. His bread will be given to him. Memav ne'emanim. His water is reliable. And here's the most beautiful words of all. Melech be'yofyo. Tehezena enecha. Your eyes will see a king in his beauty.
Meaning that when you sit and pray, you're going to feel the warmth of standing next to the king of the world. When you sit to learn, you're going to feel something very special, such a closeness to the king of this world. Lehit aneg al Hashem. To have the pleasure of being close to Hashem. Who gets that? Melech beyofyo. You're going to be seeing the king in his beauty. Means you're able to see the beauty. You're able to connect. How do you get that? The power of the eyes. That's a boundary that Hashem has sent a message to all of us. You can control your life. Watch your eyes. Lotaturu. Do not let your eyes tour. Only raise them. Before you look somewhere, make sure it's proper. Hazal tell us that you're not even supposed to look at a person who's a rasha. Just looking at a rasha is a problem. Already, your eyes have been tainted. The opposite, it says, To be a great person, hang out around good people. Choose wisely. Be around good friends. Don't be around people that give your eyes the wrong look. In the end, you're paying for it without realizing that's why it says the words of David Melech. Ashrei Haish. Fortunate is the man. Who is the fortunate person? Tell me. Imagine I tell you to fill out the rest of that sentence. We're about to tell you who the fortunate person is. That you look at him and say, ah, so fortunate. Fortunate means I wish I could be like that. Fortunate means they've got it all. They're fortunate. Let's fill out the rest of the line. So we're waiting to hear what David Melch is going to say. What his spiritual achievements are. Maybe his physical achievements. What does this guy have? Tell me. To be called the fortunate person. What is he sitting on? What possessions? What acquisitions? What accomplishments? Tell me. Ashrei Haish. The fortunate man. Who is he? And shockingly, says the great David Melech, another man of great success, another version of Ben Porat Yosef, another person who we find him in life in the most difficult circumstances. And no matter where he is, he's singing, he's writing poetry. Can't get, you can't get this man. Tell us, David, how do you do it? A person who doesn't walk with the wrong people. He doesn't stand next to people who are not appropriate. He sees people sitting around talking Lashon Hara 
talking about this person. I was so inspired last week. Somebody told me that one of their daughters in their house, if there's ever a discussion of Lashon Hara, out of respect, she will walk up and leave. No rebuke, no stop. It's not her home, it's not her table. She walks out. Lashon Hara, Moshav Letzim. You sit around with people and you talk about that one and that one and make fun of this one and make fun of that one. Lo Yashav. He's not going to sit there. David Amelech, did you miss something? You told me what the person doesn't do. Could you tell me what he does? He does, he talks about it more after. But he starts with this. He starts with what we're talking about today. You're sitting with Rishaim. You're talking to Rishaim. You're listening to Rishaim. That's it. Your heart is shut down. I will tell you, I'll finish off with this. Another boundary that our rabbis tell us is the boundaries of the ears. The ears, just like the eyes, they take in information. The eyes, ein ro'ah ve'ozen shoma'ah. Vehalev Homed. That is the way the world operates. Eyes, ears, live. I already mentioned being careful about what you listen to. I've mentioned this before. I don't think it's a good idea to listen to the news all the time. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, you could listen to news. But you should not be putting on news. Because the news that is being reported is all bad news. There's nothing good that's reported. A lot of good things going on in the world, but they're not reported. Bad news sells. That's a reality. I once had a dream to open up a good news station. Imagine there'd be a station and all you reported was good news. You spoke about the firefighter who gave up his life to save people. You spoke about the ambulance driver who waits on the corner to volunteer to help those in need. You speak about a Hatzalah member. You talk about the people who are honoring their parents and spending time with them, taking them to the doctors. You talk about great mothers and great fathers that are sacrificing for their children. There's plenty of that going on in the world. So I thought to myself, one day, I'm going to open a news station and all you do is report good news. But I gave up on the idea. Because good news doesn't sell. There's something inside of us that loves to hear bad news. We're attracted to bad news. 
people get killed, ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, it's not me. That's how it works. Oh, this one got raped, oh, Baruch Hashem, it's not me. There's a war out there. There's something almost thankful about not being that. When people, people are attracted to bad news. Good news, you know, it's much harder to be happy for people than it is to be sad for them. But regardless, my station is not open anytime soon. So you can't allow your ears to listen to the wrong people or the wrong news. It's affecting you. It's going to affect you. You're not as much as the eyes, but right next to it. I'm going to end off with the following words. The Sefer HaHinuch says, En davar. There isn't a thing. Ye'orerehu. That awakens a person. Kemo kolot hanigun. Like the sound or the sounds of music. Yadua Adavar and it's known. The power of music. You know, the there's a certain part of the human soul that only music can reach. In fact, angels, their communication is Shira, is music. In fact, they say that little babies, even though they don't understand anything, but if you put music next to them, there's some sort of connection. It reminds men, reminds them of the shir they were learning with the malach. Music is very powerful. The author of the Lecha Dodi that we say on Friday night, he asked a very powerful question. He says, Ahashverosh, by Megillat Esther, we see, he made this unbelievable party. And the, and the Megillah actually spends time to detail what was there. The furniture, the drapes, the cups, the types of metal. The Megillah actually spends time writing. We would say it's not important, but I guess it was important. But he asked Rabbi Shlomo El Kavetz, he asked, he says, but where's the music? Think about a party that you're going to make. The first thing about the party you think about is the music. Who's the hazan? Who's singing? Who's this? Who's that? Music is such an important part of the party. Why is there no mention of how many pieces were in the band? or who was singing, or what type of music they were singing. Nothing. No music. 
Could it be a Hashverosh had this magnificent party trying to show everybody his great wealth and honor and doesn't put on music? How could it be? And listen to this answer that he gives. He says that a Hashverosh trying to bring the Jewish people closer to him and away from their values was worried that if the Jewish people would be in the party and he would play nice music it just might reach their soul and want bring them to want to make teshuvah so no music played at Ahasuerus' party I say to Rabbi el that if Ahasuerus lived in our time, he would have no problem. <laughs> because the music of our day doesn't talk to the neshama. It talks to the lowest element of the human. But music is very powerful. The music that you listen to is very powerful. Who's singing it? What are they saying? Again, you might say, but it's just music. It's not like I'm just, I'm not doing anything. Music, it's reaching the deepest part of your very being. And it's affecting you. It's affecting your the overall you. It's not like the eyes. It's right under. It's ayin ro'ah velev shomea. One of the ways, one of the biggest takanot that a person can make in his life, one of the biggest takanot you can make for your health, besides that it's doing the right thing, one of the biggest takanot you can make for your neshama, where simha comes from, is to be careful what music you allow into your ears. There's so much good music today in the Jewish world. Music that talks about important things and important values and important relationship like us with Hashem. Pesukim and all different songs. Those songs make a very big effect on our soul. We have to be careful not to allow things into our live that will hurt the live. So that's for today. The bottom line is, today we learned one of the great restrictions that we need to enjoy the physical world. It may seem, when you hear about restrictions of your eyes and ears, it may seem that we're taking away the physical pleasures. In reality, the restrictions and boundaries we spoke about today are actually the ticket to Ben Porat Yosef, to living a life of tremendous simha and tremendous production. You can't allow everything into your eyes and ears and expect to come out healthy. That's something we need to guard for ourselves and certainly our children and our families. And within a very short time, I'll end off with this. I remember I had a person who was really messed up in many ways to the point that I had really nothing to know. 
So I said, you know what? Let me just throw something out. I said, you know what? For the next 30 days, do not watch television and listen to only Jewish music. That's the only thing I could do. I couldn't tell him to learn. He couldn't learn. I couldn't tell him to pray. He couldn't read. I couldn't do anything. The guy was, I couldn't do anything that I would tell a normal person. I give you my word, this man changed his life in 30 days. Not kidding, 30 days. He put on music that was real, holy music, and he watched his eyes. Unbelievable. It's something real, it's something documented in the Torah, it's something that Hashem is looking at us and saying, Come on, you could live much higher than that. You could do much better than that. Ezrat Hashem will be zocher to beautiful eyes and beautiful ears and the most beautiful neshama of Simcha. Have a wonderful day. Baruch Amen.